0: And we've got another Thriver show today and um, it's been so awesome that I'm receiving so much positive feedback from the community about these shows and what's wonderful is whenever we're putting them up in the NART group as well is that people are really, really barracking for these people and getting behind them because it's all about that community, the NART group is about a community of people that are working from being survivors to Thrivers and so I've got another lovely thriver today, and her name's sherry and sherry's story a lot of people are going to relate to a lot of narcissists are very very uh very good at um accusations and and all sorts of projections and things, and sherry's story is definitely definitely full of those and The glorious thing is that Sherry is a thriver now and that's why she's on the show. So, I'm going to introduce Sherry. So, Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Melanie, for having me.
0: It's absolutely a total pleasure. So, Sherry, to kick your story off, I'd like you to explain to the listeners how your relationship with the narcissist started. Um.
1: I met the narc in 1970. Um, we actually met the first day of school in kindergarten. We went um, to school until 1980, or sorry, we went to school together until 1980, and then we both went off living our separate lives after that. Um, at that time, we never ever dated, uh, but he did go through a lot of extreme measures to get my attention. In public school, he would beat up the other kids in front of me. He pull my hair, he pulled my bra strap. Um I I admit I did slap him because you know kids back then, you know. So we spent many years apart. Uh, I wasn't very impressed with his behavior back then. So, you know, he went his way, I went mine, which was a good thing. But in two thousand nine we reconnected on Facebook. Uh we met in person after talking for a few months in February two thousand ten. We hadn't seen each other, you know, for many, many, many years, and you know, I thought uh, he had changed and had grown up like the rest of us had. Anyways, it ended up being a whirlwind romance. He put me up on a pedestal, saying I was always smart, um, the prettiest girl in school, how much he always had a big crush on me. Um, you know, during the first part of our relationship, it was amazing. Uh, his mother was sick with the with poly, or she was palliatively sick with pancreatic cancer. And that uh, put a strain on our new budding relationship because, you know, he had a lot of responsibilities helping, helping with her and getting her to the hospital and such. In May, unfortunately, in May that year, his mother passed away and then Mr. Hyde appeared. Um, I remember that day. I was in Saskatoon. I'm, I'm from Saskatoon and, uh, I currently live in Calgary. So about a week later, I was heading back home to Calgary after his mom's funeral, and a friend of mine, uh, Mike, offered to give me a ride home. Uh, airfare costs were adding up from traveling because I did travel back and forth quite a bit when his mom was sick and, you know, flying was easier rather than driving six hours. But uh, that day, little did I know that he would have a hissy fit, um, you know, starting from an act of kindness from a good friend of mine who, was, you know, offered me a ride. So this was the first time I witnessed the full-blown jealousy. Um, But in hindsight, there were warning signs. Um, The comments, you know, they were seemingly joking about how I probably had lots of rich boyfriends in Calgary. Started, I would think, probably about a month into the relationship, and there was a lot of innuendos, you know, towards that. And uh, yeah, anyways, that's that's kind of how everything started. Mm, yeah.
0: So, okay. So what, what did this hissy fit involve? What did he actually do?
1: Oh boy. <laughs> well, um, between the, the drive, the six hour drive, um, that I was going, heading back to Calgary from Saskatoon, I normally tax him. The... The narc always wanted me to text him because he indicated early on in the relationship that he was worried about me traveling on the highway between the two cities. But he had truly been pretty demanding about the constant communication right from the beginning of our relationship. So um, he didn't reply back to my text. And I tried several times during the whole six hours and I got nothing. I was worried when I got home, so I phoned. Um, I knew he was depressed about losing his mom and about me having to go back home until you know we could sort things out about me moving back to Saskatoon and I still got no answer. I got no answer for several days and I really had no idea why. So when he finally did answer the phone the accusations started and it was horrible and I wondered where that sweet loving man that I knew went to. Um, you know prior to this time there would always been little mini punishments of disappearing on me when I would say or do something he didn't like. And, you know, and it could be something as simple as not answering a text right away or sharing a funny story about something that happened at work with a male coworker. Even, like, to the extreme of I would go to a movie with one of my sons and he'd make comments saying that I was on a date with somebody else. Like, it just was ridiculous. Um, but, you know, until that day of the drive home, I never really experienced the full-blown episode of, you know, being punished in that way. Because he he would always snap out of his moods fairly quickly prior to that. Um, Because his mom had just passed away, I wrote it off as being grief and worked on getting him counselling. So there's me trying to fix him right off the hop. I kept telling myself to give him a break. He's grieving and he doesn't really mean it. And I stayed home in Calgary for about a month and then I headed back to Saskatoon to do a test drive on our relationship as in living together. And the month was phenomenal and my dear sweet man was back. Life was good again. Um, but then, you know, time went by and the other shoe drops and his dad suddenly got ill and was in ICU fighting for his life. And he was great up until the day his dad died. Um, his dad was recovering and had been moved out of the the observation area in ICU and was they were getting ready to put him back on a regular ward when he had a major heart attack and died. And this was our Canadian Thanksgiving, um, just six months after his mom passed away. So it would have been in October. So at that point, the other shoe dropped really hard again, Dr. Hyde came out and I thought it was again, just the grief. But, uh, what I didn't understand was this man who demanded commitment from me was not giving it to me. You know, he's, spiraled down depressed drinking a lot suicidal every chance he got he blamed me for not being there although I was doing the best I could he refused counseling he blamed me for the pain he was feeling and why I couldn't take it away so it's a pretty difficult time yeah
0: okay so this would have been really really confusing because obviously there was grief going on there so You know, I think the question, I know when you put forward this story to me and a lot of people out there would be thinking, well, you know, maybe it was the grief. So do you believe the behavior was a result of his grief or was it more than that?
1: Um, At first I thought it was the grief, but there came a point where I started realizing and acknowledged to myself that this behavior wasn't just normal grieving. There was... More to it, and a light bulb came on more and more about the cycle of abuse happening in our relationship. You know, I still hadn't figured out that it was narcissistic abuse, but I suspected that maybe he there was a possibility of him being either manic or bipolar, and that he definitely needed to get in to see a doctor to get diagnosed with whatever mental health issue he was suffering from. You know, and I spent as much time as I, I could with him trying to help him, and of course not taking care of myself during that time period and then um i had a major discovery happening at 9 months into the relationship when he had asked me to help him with his computer one day as he had a virus on it and i got a real eyeful um the dating and porn sites he'd been on i was just totally in shock and i blew i mean i blew big and i was just devastatingly hurt um, the secrets he'd been keeping from me were, were totally unraveling at that point. And, you know, thinking back, I now realize there were in- indicators prior to his mom passing away on his addiction to porn. Um, an instance came up when his friend Paul stopped by to do some work on his computer and he commented that he wouldn't have so much trouble with his computer if he'd stayed off the porn sites. You know, and I took it as a joke because I know sometimes guys do joke around, but, uh, then I started to recall that he was always pretty protective of his computer and I had offered to help, with him prior, help him with it prior to that incident, but he would never let me on his computer, not even to check my own emails or anything. Um, so he apologized. He looked sincere. He knew I was hurt. He he played me well. <laughs> so he went for counseling or actually we went for counseling. Then he promised me he'd go for counseling he swore off his computer and then he had me help him clean up his mess um the one that had hurt me so badly with these sites and stuff and you know stupidly I did I helped him delete all the accounts he'd set up on dating sites and porn porn sites you know I I should have made him just deal with that himself and actually I'm not going to beat myself up over this but that should have been you know huge red flag and left but he had me hooked right So, yeah, so I believed him when he said he would change. And honestly, I wanted my happily ever after so badly that I looked past all his bad behavior and I held on to that dream. So I now realize that now I was scared to lose him and never find anyone to spend the rest of my life with because that, you know, at that time I was still looking for happiness outside of myself and not just being happy, being me and loving myself, You know, and and then things did seem to get back on track. The Counseling helped for the brief period that it was, you know, we went to it and he went to it and things were good. And then we ended up getting engaged in March 2011. So just a few months after that. So um, he put on his best act ever there. He was a total devoted and loving partner. Only He only went onto his computer to listen to YouTube when he made Sunday brunch for me. And what I didn't realize was that he was getting up early, like about 5 a.m. to go to work, and he was on his computer at that time before I even got up and surfing sites, you know, surfing all sorts of sites again. So, yeah.
0: Mm. This is such a cycle of narcissistic abuse, and one that, you know, is really important to understand is that what happens is, atrocious behavior which is atrocious and then if the narcissist is going to apologize and be humble and then it seems like they actually put in a supreme effort a supreme effort to win you back be the great person do all the right things but actually nothing has changed and we learn that the hard way we really really do so and in in you know in light of that what were some of the red flags that were still appearing before you did get engaged and then when did the bad behavior appear again
1: So um even before we got engaged the signs of jealousy were still there although not as much as they had been before he would always apologize to me when he acted that way and say it was because he loved me so much He even stopped uh, the disappearing acts in punishment for the things he didn't like. And, however, you know, happy I was during those four-month time frame, I realize now that it was his best acting performance ever, you know, during our relationship. I was happy, we were happy, or, you know, so I thought. Um, I would say that he started the punishments and cycles approximately within one month after we got engaged, you know, once he got that ring on my finger. Uh, It was like he thought he owned me then and could control my actions. You know, and 2011 was a year of more discoveries for me. You know, I still saw more red flags that I ignored. His computer came out. The exact, you know, the accusations about me cheating started again. So the reflecting, which I know now, Um, the go away, come here started up again and the circle started tightening um, on the abuse. So every weekend without fail, if we weren't together, I had to be out and cheating. If I didn't answer the phone right away, you know, I was out cheating or doing something I shouldn't be. I heard that so many times, you know, and it just, I still say that it seemed like once the ring went on, he figured he had total control of my life. Uh, my friends were no good. My sons were troublemakers. My, you know, he even knocked my dog saying she was poorly trained. I was cheating. You know, it was just like a broken record, hearing it over and over again.
0: Mm, awful. So, when was the first time that you broke up for real?
1: Okay, so uh, the first time we split up for real, and he he dropped me like a hot potato, no explanations or anything. We were just done. Um, happened just before the Christmas of 2011. Um, I was devastated, not really understanding what had happened, and I was angry. I texted, I called, I begged. Until he finally relented and accept me back, accepted me back, two months later, you know he did talk to me during that time frame, and uh, you know, but the comments were always, "I should be happy that he found somebody new," and you know, rub that kind of stuff in my face. And he rebounded pretty quickly, which tells me, you know, there was things going on before we were even parted. Um, when he agreed to reconcile with me, he demanded I stayed away from his ex-wife Lori. He said she was the cause of all the trouble between us by spreading rumors. And he was really angry at me for even talking to her and believing her. Um, you know, and, and it started off is because he has kids with her that we we started talking. We also went to neighboring high schools. We're the same age. So, you know, same circles. Um. So anyways, we did reconcile. He gave me a second chance. So I relented and kept a healthy distance from her. Um, he was also... Angry because I wouldn't drop everything and move in with him and elope, um, I had always indicated to him that I wanted a small family wedding at the gardens on the u of s campus where I went to university and uh, you know but uh, but uh, you know, even though we reconciled, I decided to stay more observant about the things that were happening in our relationship. Uh, I noticed his cell phone was never left accessible to me, not even for a second. Uh, the computer was hidden. You know, he said he made an excuse saying it was not working properly, so he wasn't using it anymore, which is a big lie. Um, but, you know, and I didn't realize how hooked I was. And we both had committed to work on the relationship. And, you know, that's what I had thought. We went back to counseling. Things looked like they were going to turn around this time. Um, but I did reenter the relationship with more critical eyes, observing everything. And little by little, I started... Uh, accepting the red flags as truth and no more excuses for him. You know, when the secrets came out, he was severely behind on his child maintenance. He'd been hiding that from me. Um, his finances were a disaster. He'd get texts, text, secret texts that he wouldn't, you know, you know, he wouldn't share or he'd lie who they came from. Uh, using the internet, you know, on the computer first thing in the morning, hiding his computer, you know cell phone going for coffee with supposed friends, but it was, he was always very evasive, like when I went to do stuff, I always said, "Oh i you know I'm going for coffee with my mom or something, and you know leave it at that. It was no big deal because I had nothing to hide. There was also uh cash withdrawals from our joint account with no explanations, and then more and more accusations started, and the circle got tighter on our the abuse cycle.
0: Yeah, you truly, Sherry, must have been suffering badly emotionally at this point. Yes. So, how were you? you would have been a mess. How were you feeling?
1: Well, um, I didn't realize how much of a mess I was until June 2012. I ended up ended up with this uh, virus called pityriasis rosea, or in layman's terms, it's called the Christmas tree rash. Uh, Now this is in the same family as shingles, and and blamed my work and stress that was going on there. He kept saying that if I had listened to him and quit the job, that I wouldn't have gotten sick, and that I should quit and let him take care of me. And you know I was so broken by stress from both him and, and that job that I believed him and asked if I could be laid off from my job. You know a few days later after I returned to work full-time, my boss offered me a package and then hired me back as a consultant, which you know was a nice nice thing that he did for me. Um, that enabled me to be able to work from distance from any remote location, and I could be either in Calgary or Saskatoon. So I ended up moving to Saskatoon the following month, so that would have been around the end of June, and I went there at the beginning of July to live full-time with, with the NARC.
0: And isn't that incredible how you know narcissists absolutely want to rescue and engulf and they're the one that's causing (laughs) such a disintegration of us but then it's like well i'll fix it i'll rescue you i'll be this i'll be that you know it's all part of um creating that powerful dependency that means that we're going to be more and more hooked and more and more taken over so when did the relationship with him really start to crumble
1: well, the relationship started to crumble actually in July of 2012, coincidentally, when I moved in with him to, again, give it another trial go. So I worked at home, um, and then he started randomly dropping by. check It was like he was checking up on me, and it became more frequent. Uh, he f- he went to the extremes. He followed me shopping, to and then he'd text me to test to see, you know, If I was or I said that I was where I was, he checked my cell phone, which I didn't realize, you know, because to me it was no big deal. I'd leave mine out. But he did check my cell phone. He was always asking me who I was talking to. You know, he criticized me for everything I did and got mad over pretty much everything that I did. You know, um, I remember an incident. My sister-in-law, Jocelyn, asked me to go shopping with her, and I was really excited because we don't get to spend much girl time together or we hadn't in the past. And um, we had a lot of great things planned and uh, we were having a really good day. So I let him know that it was going to be later. We decided to do dinner and, you know, he was again in that unresponsive mode with the texting or phoning or anything. So, you know, I was trying to be considerate and say I was going to be late. So I got home though and he was furious, absolutely furious with me. And It was like, you know, after having such a great day, it was just like somebody had kicked my stool out from underneath me. And, uh, you know, with all the events that had happened, I realized that I was going to be criticized and controlled and living in constant drama if I stayed with him. And that's not something I can live with. And honestly, I bolted and I came back home to Calgary because I still have my home here and I'm glad that I kept it.
0: Yeah, that was very good that you kept it. Absolutely. So at that time, what did he do? Well, how did he follow up from you leaving?
1: Well, with me leaving, um, you know, first of all, the warning bell went off. You know, my intuition was warning me that something was going to happen. And it was actually, I guess, the first time in our relationship that I was scared of the end. You know, I wasn't sad or mad. I was just really scared. And when I shared that with him, he told me I couldn't come back to get my things and that he was changing the locks on the house. And I was just so exhausted from dealing with everything that I just left it alone for a while. You know, just no energy to deal with anything. Um, and he threw a lot, of, a lot of really mean comments out again. Um He did make an attempt or a couple of attempts on a reconciliation. So Thanksgiving came up that year, uh, again in October, and he called me and asked if I would consider coming over because he was going to make a big turkey dinner. He said that it would be an opportunity for me to come and spend time with the family and then visit with them and then we could talk and see if we could work things out. Actually, he didn't say see if we could. He wanted to work things out at that time. So I went to Saskatoon with my son, Sean, but in light of what had happened in September, I decided to stay with my mom instead of with him. You know, I was just very unsure of his behavior and I wanted to be in a safe place. So uh, he was really good till he found that out. And when he found out my intention was on staying with her instead of with him, he started a big fight with me and then said I wasn't welcome to come for dinner and I was causing too much drama and I guess apparently that was by, you know, making the choice to protect myself. So I never saw him till briefly on the Monday before I was leaving to come back to Calgary again. And uh, we talked briefly, but it wasn't, there wasn't too much sorting out and being done. It was still, it was accusations, but we did uh, have another go around. So the second attempt was Christmas time. And again, he, he wanted me to come and spend time there with him and his family and, I was still hopeful that a miracle could happen and we would sort things out. Um, so I told him I would be there Christmas morning because traditionally I always spend Christmas Eve with my sons. You know, We do the big meal and everything, and that's important to me. But as soon as I had told him that, he stopped answering all communication with me. So I decided to cancel my flight to Saskatoon. I stayed in Calgary, and I posted on a site called Abuse No More. Um, looking for advice, and that's how I found your work, Melanie. I was, uh, you know, done in every, sh- every shape and form with him. Uh, I spent Christmas Day in bed crying and was devastated. I would let this happen to myself again. And uh, December 28, 2012 was the grand finale, and I knew I would never go back to this man ever again, Or, and I was looking for a better way of life. You know, so I wouldn't go back to this again, right?
0: And that's when you did no contact, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's when I started my no contact.
0: Yeah, yeah. brilliant. So, Sherry, when did you start getting some answers about what really had been happening?
1: Uh, in 2012, I started getting a glimmer of sorting out what I was, what had been going on. You know, I started looking up definitions of what a nar- narcissist was. This is during the time period between September and December. Um, Also what a psychopath were, um, along with a lot of conditions like bipolar or paranoid schizophrenia. Because I knew there was something severely wrong with with this man, and it was making me not just emotionally ill, but physically symptoms were showing up as well. Um, December 2012, you know, when the same pattern of breaking up happened again, his devaluing and discarding me again for the upteenth time, I reached out for help on the internet, you know, and posted anonymously on that page called Abuse No More. You know, I was needing answers, and I received over 200 responses to my story. When I read through them, I was drawn to a post um, that a lady named Phyllis wrote, you know, and I decided to take a chance and send her a friend request, meeting her, you know, with no accident. She told me about you and about NARP, she added me to the page, which I was so grateful for, you know, she... Shared a lot of the documentation that you have there, and I started reading articles and started really educating myself. Um, and then in January 2013, I started on my NARP healing journey. And you know, the NARP modules have really opened my my eyes. Um, I was going through severe adrenal fatigue by this time, so you know, going back for more, right? More more abuse and suffering. Yeah,
0: yeah, it'll do it.
1: Yeah, and I was I was just totally in terrible emotional shape, you know? And with doing the healings and working on my physical health, I was I was able to start recovering quicker than I thought I could.
0: So you discovered at this time of the great pain and then starting to work on yourself, you really started to become aware, which so many people do, of your inner patterns. So, what were they?
1: I realized that I was living in a dream world and not in reality. You know, I was wanting to find happiness outside of myself and in my relationships, to be exact. Um, I gave away too much of myself to make it work. You know, I left my cup empty, and it turned me into somebody I truly did not like at all. You know, I discovered I loved others too much, and me not enough. Looking for acceptance and love from external resources just left me with very weak personal boundaries. I had uh kept this pattern up for years not knowing how to break it. And I thought this was normal in relationships, not really understanding it wasn't wasn't and how to get normal. You know, I re- and I you know, I realized too like in my childhood um there there was things there. So there was there was warning signs to yeah. way back when. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? That you know what had gone on at home that had made it, you know, because with all of us, I know our parents were most of our parents were doing the best they could with what they had. But what happened with all of us is that we really, you know, we were we were primed in many many ways to be out of seeking and not be that source to ourselves.
1: Yeah, and you know. I agree. My parents did the best they could with the information they had, but, you know, they had me quite a bit later after they had my brothers. So I have two brothers that are even 10 years older than me. Um, you know, and it was pretty apparent from quite a young age that my middle brother, you know, resented me being there, I guess, because, you know, he was a baby and then all of a sudden he wasn't anymore. And he picked on me a lot. Uh, He used to beat beat me up, you know, uh, made comments. And I thought it was just normal kid stuff. You know, my dad was on the road. He was a trucker until 1981 when he passed away. And he left my mom at home to do everything. You know, the stress was tremendous on her. And she suffered a lot from anxiety because of it. And, you know, her nerves are very fragile. So I guess every family gets their little scapegoat and it just ended up happening happening to be me and probably because I was home longer and my brothers were out on their own much sooner. Could have been one of them prior to that, I don't know. But I, I do know that um, I was blamed for a lot of things whether I did it, did it or not and she was also drinking a lot at that time. Drinking way too much in my opinion. So I ended up being the scapegoat um, but I worked really hard to get my marks get high marks. Uh, I was really good at sports, you know, but nothing really seemed to be good enough. My my dad, you know, typical of that age where the husband and father thinks that that what you provide through work, you know, was, was the best way to go. So he chose work over us kids and he missed out on a lot of important events with, with us and with my mom, you know, graduations, birthdays, sometimes even Christmas, their anniversary. Um, in 1981, though, he he passed away, and I was 16 at that time. You know, just that critical age when you really need a father and that guidance and, you know, the, the good and the bad part of that, you know, like sometimes the kick in the butt and yeah, things, too. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but for the first time, uh, for my mom since marrying him and she was 17 when they got married she was truly left alone and the following year she decided to start dating um, she met Herb um, and basically left me to cope on my own and I do want to kind of I didn't share this with you prior but I do want to tell you my mom had her own narc incident because Herb was the narc he's passed away now but yeah she's she went through it too so I witnessed it there as well
0: yes yes
1: yeah, so ultimately, you know, what came out of this whole thing is I, I, I walked away feeling unwanted by my family. Um, and ultimately, later on in my life, I, I just moved away because I was just didn't want to be part of the drama, didn't want to be part of any of that. So moving away seemed to be the best option to move on with my life.
0: Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And we can see, can't we, how that absolutely leads us to try to get love, validation and approval from outside of ourselves because we don't know that we can provide it to ourselves. And it's not until we really do go within and heal those programs and patterns that we can change that for ourselves. So, Sherry, what words of advice would you give to the people who are going through this or are yet to get out but know that they need to?
1: Never give up if you want a better way of life. Um, be kind, gentle, respect yourself. You know, on your journey of healing, you'll have many steps forward and backwards. And, you know, as long as you're committed to healing and growing, you will go forwards. NARP, NARP absolutely changed my life. You know, when I started working through the modules the first time, I did it mostly on an intellectual level. However, the emotional stuff that I'd been shut down, you know, I'd been in protection mode was starting to come through and I felt, I felt the pain. It it came through and I needed to. So I worked through the modules a second time and sometimes I had to repeat a module several times in a row and fully claim my feelings. You know, let the tears come, let the anger come and eventually the forgiveness started to flow. You know, I was finally healing that inner child who was so broken and needed love, and that was self-love, not the outside stuff. So, you know, I it just I needed that love so desperately. Uh, the modules totally woke me up, um, woke up my feeling again after being so shut down, and that shock of what happened to me, and you know, I and I let it happen to me in the prior three years with the narc and. You know, in reality, I think I've let it happen my whole life in my relationships like that. You know, fright or flight was a very realistic part of my life. And, you know, since I've been progressing in my healing, I very rarely suffer from anxiety anymore. I live in the here and now for the most part. You know, I truly love and accept myself for who I am now. I'm, you know, and I'm not fooled. I know I'm not totally over being a codependent. It's so hardwired into you, right? But. This is going to be a lifetime commitment to my recovery. Um, And now I have the tools to deal with whatever comes my way. You know, your modules are going to stay with me for the rest of my life. I'm keeping them, Melanie, because they have helped me so, so much. And when I I get triggered by an event, you know what I do? I process and then I pick a module and I work through it again. And I have a pretty big book of notes, (laughs) things that I've gone through. Sherry, I you can know, relate totally yeah.
0: because I go back to those topics time and time again as well. And and you've nailed it. It's so true as codependence. When we really totally realise that it's an inside job and we need to become our own source, you're right. We have been hardwired into not having that, not knowing that, having that anxiety, which means that I'm going to go to outside of myself to try and actually solve my inner pain. Yeah. And life through the narcissist, gloriously has kicked our butt so hard that we realize that that just doesn't work for us anymore. No, definitely and that's not. Why we, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And and the, the ironic thing, although it's not ironic, and I talk about it a lot in the blogs, is that it's actually a direct match for what's going on for a narcissist. They're actually doing the identical thing. It's just they're that submerged at an inner self level that conscience and everything has gone right out the window but this is why we we don't want to be a match for false selves for empty people that are, are trying to vampire to feel better we can't be those people anymore we have to be a source to ourselves and uh, you know I, I think and, and isn't it so true that if you're just trying to heal intellectually it really doesn't work you know, and you really, I you know, I love that about your story where you say the first time that you worked NARP that you were doing it at an intellectual level. But, you know, Sherry, it didn't have nearly the power until you really went inside, did it? If you can just elaborate on that a little bit more for people that need to understand the difference. Um,
1: well, I think when you do things... Intellectually, you're, you're processing it. You're not really using your feelings, right? Like you can understand something, but until you really get into the heart of the matter and accept your feelings and open up, you're not going to heal. You, you got to accept the good and the bad about yourself and just go with it. And forgiveness is huge, like totally huge, you know. And when I went to the emotional healing, everything picked up speed, You know, the healing, like the the NARP modules just totally helped me rocket back out in the world. And I was able to go from still kind of, I don't know if I should block them or not, to suddenly I did. And, you know, within a month's time frame, I checked over some pictures of myself. And the one day I'd gotten my hair done, I thought I looked pretty good. I looked at the pictures and I had bags under my eyes and I just looked tired and that I'd still had things knocked out of me a month later after I blocked him and in every way, shape and form pretty much that I could. I think the phone's the only thing that I couldn't, but I deal with that in another manner now. But it was like night and day. Cause you've seen a vibrant young woman with eyes glistening of mischievousness again and happy. Like, and a lot of people have noticed that like in person and in pictures. So, I'm, I'm happy about it. And if I wouldn't have accepted this stuff uh, on an emotional level versus intellectual level, I wouldn't have gotten there. I really wouldn't have gotten there. Mm,
0: and, uh, you know, that's so true. And I see that so often. That, And I was the same. I was the same for years trying to intellectually heal and just couldn't do it. And so many people are the same. That's why, you know, so much of uh, contemporary cognitive, logical, rational therapy isn't embodying the shifts and the changes and ultimately it is about coming home to loving and accepting ourselves totally unconditionally now that's an emotional connection job that's a true intimacy with ourselves we cannot do that logically it's emotional
1: no yeah (laughs) i agree 100% on that and And, you know, intellectually saying you love yourself but not really believing it doesn't work either. That's right.
0: right. It's actually really, really hard to uh, continue trying to push that point. I love myself. Logically, when the inner programs are screaming at you, no, you don't.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. And that's what I was doing for years. Yeah,
0: that's it. And that's that fight between the body and the brain. And the body always wins. It's the inner emotional programs that are always going to have the last say and the uh the brain follows the body that's the important thing that's why we need to work at it emotionally so sherry thank you so much for sharing your story i think this is a really important story and it's really highlighting those accusations you know that 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 jealousy you know first narc experience around for me that that was massive that stuff second one absolutely at the end it picked up hugely as well and we know that um it, it, you know, if anybody is accusing you of things that you just wouldn't even consider doing, please understand it's a projection that this person, what they're doing, is actually what they're accusing you of. But as we know, ultimately, the healing is not about them, it's about you. It's about going to your inner codependency programs to come home to that loving yourself and having great boundaries and being a healthy, happy source of life, being love and joy and wisdom and truth within your own skin because it changes everything so thank you so much Sherry for sharing your story and um, and are you will you be able to answer questions on the blog for people?
1: Most definitely, a- anything to help, you know if my story can touch one person and help them, I'll be amazingly happy, I just would like to share well that's why i came on to share this because i could relate to other stories but they weren't exactly like mine none of our stories are exact right so i will help i will help out whatever i can and share with you know whoever has questions most definitely
0: gorgeous i've got goosebumps all over me i love it when the thrivers just heart and soul just want to that's why i do what i do too it's just we just want people to heal we want you to get out of the carnage, get out of the the, the most terrible pain we've ever known and come out the other side as a thriver. That's what this is all about. So, Sherry, thank you so much. We're going to look forward to the blog coming out tomorrow and Sherry commenting on the blog. And if anybody needs some help from me too, by all means, you can direct a question to me or to Sherry. But more to Sherry, that's good because it gives me a little bit
1: of a break for a week, which is
0: always nice, even (laughs) though (laughs) I love doing it, of course. (laughs) <laughs> thank you so
1: much, Melanie. Oh,
0: it's such a pleasure, Sherry. Thank you. And uh have a lovely night over there. Okay. All right then. Thank
1: you. Thank you, I will. And okay, you have a great you have well. a great evening. Okay. <laughs> bye. Okay. Okay. Bye bye.